Take it easy. It's like the 17th drop. This one ain't gonna be pretty though. <laughs> Watch. <laughs> Diplomatic immunity, fuck them. Hey, killing drops ain't new to me. I'm talking bullshit, pipping back since 33. But on the mic, I'm 23. Hey, her legs open. Balls in her hand, the sign, homie, she low go. She on my watch list like Marlo. J, Dr. J or Jay-Z, it's all the same. I'm all of them. Hey, I'm Hall of Fame. I'll kick out your dame. <laughs> I'm operating like DOC. The doc orders, I heard she want this young free. All she want is this money. My dough nuts, but first I give her this smooth D. Think Watts, nigga, give me more. I got an indecent proposal, nigga, no Demi more. If you give me green in the strip club, it start the rain. Climate change, unpopular opinion. See, I'm Al Gore. Caffeine morning show. I'm on the dash like him and Chloe Stowe. I'm moving fast, like a little girl with hoochie parents. Like an escalator, they all staring. I remember the last time I was on the show. Doc was talking about sex with Marlo. She drunk all the Ciroc, though. And Doc tried to have me talk about Tyrese. Doc a cold dude, grab a fleece. Yeah, I bet he say I look like Special Ed, of course. Coming from the same guy who could have been a seventh member in full force. Dang. By the way, the ladies love me. It's football. I guess she rolled a cap the way she took a knee. I bet you smooth, probably shaking head. Look at him. Told me he was vegan. I looked and shook my head. Look at him. My nigga gained about mm, 10 pounds. He gave me dap. Felt like the homie gave me 10 pounds. Look at him. <laughs> Wait a minute. Hey, uh, Doc, can you text me after this and tell me if that was Marlo or not that was in the show that drunk all this? Never mind. Caffeine. <laughs> in your mouth. <laughs> AM Caffeine Show. What up? AM Caffeine Show. It's your boy DOC. On his way back Wednesday today. Um, the crew isn't here, but that's all right. Shout out to uh Smooth D, Marlo J, Young Free. Them busters aren't here today, but guess what? I don't need them. Why come, Doc? I'm finna tell you. Special, you know. And when you use the word special, sometimes it's like you, you kind of take it for granted a little bit. And sometimes folks throw that, you know, throw that uh, that that phrase around. Right. But today, when I say special, that's exactly what the hell I mean. So I, I grew up, you know, from the MTV generation where videos was extremely, extremely important. So when we talk about from the 80s and then make our way into the 90s and when BET was super super special and VH1 and all those video shows um, that you know gave us visuals to some of our, our, our favorite songs right and by far there was one name that you saw on every damn Video, and I'm not exaggerating when I say that. To this day, 2018, the songs that my man directed videos to are still visuals that we still have in our head today. I'm talking about iconic visuals. When we're talking about Belle Beer DeVoe Poison. SWV week. Now, I'm, these are some of my, like, not just my personal favorite groups, but these groups and these visuals helped set the tone and the time and from, you know, bringing us all the way to 2018. And, and these visuals made, was just so important to the hip hop culture, to the R&B culture, and it helped push the 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 genre forward. I, I mean, boys to men, Tupac. I mean, I could go on and on with the credits. And I actually got a chance to work with them back in the day when I was a dancer. My damn self. I don't know, but that video was so low on the totem pole. He may not remember that. The one and only, my man, golly, Lionel Martin, Lionel C. Martin. So, do you like to see? 
I like to see. You like to I see. Like to see. My man, Lionel C. Martin. Golly, man. Let me tell you, before I got the opportunity to work with you, shout out to my girl, May May Ali. Right. The video was li- uh, Life's a Test. Life's a Test. Um, and I think, Lionel, I, I think you, you you squeezed that video into your schedule because I think you were like in between two or three videos at the time when you when you shot that video. This is true. This is true. Um, was the daughter of Muhammad Ali. So to me, that was special. Right, right, right. Um, wow, Lionel, there's so much to, to cover and so much to, to talk about. Let me... Let me just start with this question first of all. Do when you hear songs just, you know, on the radio or arbitrarily and, and you're like, wow, I did that video, does it does it ever come to your mind like I really did some real fly shit? <laughs> like, do you ever feel that like I am you are really a part of R and B and hip hop history? Does it ever affect you like that when you hear certain songs? It, it definitely does, but there's something that I always think about. There's a line that says, you know, you were born in the right era. And I think that, you know, the time that I was doing these videos, and I tell this to people, I was part of that era. I was part of that um, stage in hip-hop. So it wasn't like I was on the outside looking in. I was on the inside looking out. Right. And, and I'm just blessed, you know, when I listen to it and say, you know, I was part of that era. It feels good. It's a good feeling. Um, so let, let, let's go, let's go back for a minute. Um, born, not in this country, correct? Yeah, I was born in London. You were born in London. How, how did that happen? Well, you know, um, a lot of, you know, I found out later, a lot of, uh, hip hop, um, icons and legends, um, a lot of their parents have Caribbean roots. Right, right. You know, and growing up in New York, you know, my parents are from the islands, um, Antigua and Montserrat. I don't know if people even know what that is. Right. But, uh, you know, they came to New York for a better life. And um, But before they came to New York, uh, they were in London um, where they did their careers. And my mom had some health issues, so she came to New York. And uh, that's how I ended up being born in London. But I grew up in New York. You grew up in New York. Film school. So how does this whole thing happen? As far as wanting to uh, to get involved in that, telling stories. Well, first of all, having West Indian parents, okay, the whole film game. That's not even a, that's not even going to be a question. Right. So they were like they were like doctor, lawyer, that right. whole situation, right? You know? Um, so I was going to law school. Um, um, I went to City College, and I was in a six year law program that you know went to uh, NYU, but. I was growing up with this dude named Ralph McDaniel. Wow. Uh-huh. And uh, we were boyhood friends. We we DJed together. We did a lot of stuff together. And he was working. He created this show in New York called Video Music Box. Right. Which is a classic. I mean, because it created, it was the first of its kind. Right. You know, playing hip-hop videos. And even at that stage, you know, we, we DJed together. So when he had this show, he brought me in, you know, and, you were a DJ? Yeah, I DJ <laughs> back then. <laughs> I didn't know that you yeah. still got skills. Yeah. I don't know if I still got skills, <laughs> but I got a taste of music, and that kind of helped me later on with uh, doing videos. Right. But uh, basically, we had a little show in New York on WNYC Channel 31. It's still around. Ralph is still doing the show. Right. And um, we were playing, like, early videos. We were playing, like, Grandmaster Flash, uh, The Message, some of the early videos. And what... Me and Ralph saw as we were putting these videos uh, on the show is like I just always had this vibe like you know what I, I think I could do this or I think I could do better you know than what you of, were seeing yeah than right. what I was seeing and the bug kind of bit me so to please my parents I went back to school I, I dropped out of the law program and I got a master's in um, film and television okay in New York and uh, that kind of legitimized it a little bit for them and then. Um, I started to get the video bug. But the way I got into my first video really had nothing to do with Ralph. This is like a funny story. I worked for, for Sesame Street in wow. New York for a little while. I was an intern. And um, I was doing a film-to-tape transfer. So back in back in those days, we shot everything on film, and then uh, they transferred it to tape. Right. And that process was called color correction. 
And in the studio one day, I met this white girl. Um, she was real cool. Her name was Laura, and she was telling me, like, she edited Crash Crew and The Furious Five and all these videos. And I'm looking at her like, what? What? You know, this like, white girl? You know, this white girl. She's saying she's editing all these videos. And I, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't comprehend at that time. And she told me, yeah, you know, I could get you involved in that. You know what I said? Involved? Like, what do you mean? She said, I can get you to direct. And I was like, really? She, she just said, threw out direct. She threw out direct. Um because we vibed really well, and she said that I had a little bit of an eye, as, you know, because color correction, you got to have a little bit of an eye. Right. And um, she said she knew this artist that wanted a video, and she had a cameraman already. She was going to edit it, and I could get an opportunity to direct it. And the girl's name was Roxanne Shante. Wow. Uh, the song was called Roxanne's Revenge. I don't brag about that video because it's like my first one, and I really didn't get to be creative as far as coming up with a concept. It was already like, this is the concept. We're Just be shoot a, this. Yeah, we're going to be in Marley Marl's basement. She's going to perform. She needs to pull up in a limo. And that was my first bite at it. Right. And uh, video did well. That's still something that you got you to you gotta throw that out anyway, <laughs> yeah, Lionel. Right. Like, you did Roxanne Chante. You still got to yeah, throw that yeah. out there. <laughs> yeah, it was Roxanne's Revenge. <laughs> right. And then, and then I'm meeting... Uh, Marley Marl, Roxanne. So did you get pay- did you get paid for that video? I don't think I haven't made any money. Right, and right. I think the budget on that video might have been five hundred dollars. <laughs> anything it might have been five hundred bucks. But I got to meet Marley Marl. I got to meet Tyrone, which was the manager, and I got to meet the whole Cold Chillin family. Right. And the good thing about that is I vibe so well with them that they gave me an opportunity to do what I call my really first video, which was uh, MC Shan left me lonely. Okay. And by doing that video, I got to be to meet the whole Juice Crew and start to do video. So, so my, Kane, yeah. Biz. So my early work. Yeah, so my first video, major video for Cole Tillin was Biz Marquee. Right. We did Biz is Going Off. And the song that we did that was kind of major to me and critical was called The Vapors. <laughs> and on The Vapors, I got to meet Big Daddy Kane. Right. Big my, Daddy Kane, that's my dog. I love That's him. my favorite yeah. MC. He's, you know... On my Mount Rushmore, you know, other uh, figures may change, but Big Daddy Kane will never change for me. My favorite MC of all time. He's a good, he's and he's a good brother too. He's Absolutely, just a good brother. Yeah. So um, I'm in New York. I did the Vapors, and if you if you ever see the Vapors, Bismarck, um, um, Big Daddy Kane's got a little scene in the video. Yeah. Um, cool V, you know, and Biz is a genius in his own right. But I remember I was walking um, along West Broadway, uptown New York, one day, and I see Kane. And he says, yo, yo, Lionel, man. And, he says, and we start talking. And he says, yo, man, you're going to do my videos because you got an eye. I'm so this was this. how much longer was this after you shot the Vapors? It was maybe a couple of months, okay. to be honest with you. Okay. He said, um, I like the way you photographed me in the Vapors. He says, you have an eye. I like the way you captured me. And he said, you're going to do all my videos. And that's how I met Kane, became close with Kane, and I did a lot of work with him. And we did some dope videos. Wow. And the first one we did, of course, was um, Ain't No Half-Stepping, which is still to my day, like, one of my favorites. Absolutely. Shot. Oh, wait. So, wait. Let me go back to Vapors real quick. Because Vapors, there was a scene where it was on, it was... uh, it was on a ship, like a like a cruise ship. What was it? What was the budget for that video? Because at that time you didn't really see that. Yeah, that video might have been five thousand, six thousand dollars. So was that your concept? That the was whole my video concept. was your whole concept, right? Even the, the the Shan video, which I think is important. I noticed I started doing things like in the Shan video. I, it was called "Left Me Lonely." Lonely. I had him in a straight jacket. I had him playing chess. I was starting to think of things that were different that most rap videos weren't doing. Right. And then we shot the Vapors on a yacht because I just felt like as a kid growing up in New York, that's some fly shit. Just to be on a yacht out in the water and all of that shit. Right. The, niggas couldn't even swim. Right. But we, we were out in the yacht and it was feeling good. And I started to understand production value and just kind of making the videos look kind of hot. Right. You know, and uh, the Cole Chillin family was great. They were good to me. And. There was something that they don't have today. It's called loyalty. Wow. You know? So when you when you connected with, with the group, they stayed with you. They stayed with you. As long as you delivered, and I delivered. Right. You know, but they, right. they were loyal to you. And that was like one of my trademarks as I got to do more videos is I wouldn't do like one video for an album. I would do the whole entire The whole album. Th- Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, So do, would, would you say that after doing the Vapors, 
did work start to come in more or was it like after you kind of started doing you know Kane and all that like what was what was the one defining video you feel that once that that hit phones start ringing like crazy um i think once we started doing the cold chilling videos and that introduced Kane out there and stuff like that and also you know props to Ralph we had video music box so it might have looked like payola back then because we were the only show that was playing music videos. Right. And to be honest, as an artist, I started to feel like, well, I don't want people to come to me thinking that it's going to get played. Get played because that's your man. Yeah. And in fact, at a certain point, I would do videos and Ralph might not necessarily have played it. Right. So was it up to Ralph to decide if he liked the video or not? Absolutely. Absolutely at that stage. Yeah. But I had a lot of pride and a lot of ego in myself that I knew anytime I was going to do anything. This is getting played. This is getting played. Do you you remember the first time you ever saw your video on MTV or... Do you remember what that was? That was amazing. Well, the thing is, MTV started to play the videos without the name. Um, so they Without I'd the say, director without name. Without the director's name. So I would see that. I would see it on BT because BT was playing some of the hip-hop videos. Um, and then uh, there was also the times of, like, not playing the videos because uh, I remember BT once wouldn't play a video. I, was, I think it was Ramsey Shan because they said he has a beeper. Wow. And BT became a little bit more critique of black videos, of hip hop videos, and MTV. And right. That really upset me, you know, because I had to try to fight to get these videos played because I took that type of initiative too. Right. Um, but when I saw the videos in MTV, I was excited. But when they started putting the names, that was a game changer. But I call that a blessing and a curse because when MTV started putting the names of the directors, people were hating. They were like, damn, Lionel's. He does everything, everything, but the videos were good. Right, so you couldn't of, really yeah, argue. Right, yeah. And then a lot of the hip-hop artists were coming to me uh, to do the videos, and I started to develop these relationships. Right. And that's how I met some people like Primo uh, for Gangstar, and I was, and then Primo had asked for me to do, like, J. Rue. And, um, you didn't do Come Clean, did you? I did Come Clean. Oh, my goodness. Right. One of the illest beats right. ever. Absolutely. Wow. And then I did Showbiz and AG, too. So I got to meet families, like hip-hop families and artists that were coming up. I remember working with Gangstar, and Guru was upset because he had had this tape that Primo had just done. And he was like, where's my Nas tape? Where's my?" And I didn't even know who Nas was at that time. Right. But, that, but that's the inside that I had of seeing all of these people. And working together with them. Right. And I was having a ball. I so the first time you ever heard about Nas was because Guru was asking, where's my ca- Nas yeah, cassette right. tape? And it was a cassette mixtape that they didn't even have a deal yet. Right. Yeah. Wow. Crazy. Cool. Um, so obviously at that time now, so you become the uh, go-to guy for hip hop. That's right. What becomes your break into R&B. Okay, another question before you answer that question. After doing so much hip-hop, did you want to venture off and start to do R&B, or were you happy just conquering all the hip-hop stuff? That, that's a great question, and the answer to you is, like, I know it sounds fake, but I didn't even want to do anything else. I just loved hip-hop, so right. that was my thing. I just felt really cool with it, and I felt like, um, personally, I wanted to only videos that I was able to watch was rock videos on right. MTV. Right, on MTV. And they looked like they had incredible budgets and whatever and just these incredible locations. So my mission was to take hip-hop to that level. Right. To make the videos look that rich, expensive. We didn't have big budgets either, like the rock videos, but it was my mission to try to make them look big. Right, yeah. right. So what's the first call that you get to do an R&B video? Okay, well, you had mentioned it earlier, the Game Changer record. Um, well, I did stuff like for Keith Sweat. Um, um, so that was like really like a first R&B artist that I had. And there were some other R&B artists, and I, I hate to say this, I can't remember all of them, but, you know, it was like on that Keith Sweat genre. Oh, that, but, yeah, right, right. But right. the Game Changer was BBD. So the Game Changer was BBD. Um so prior to that, you had just some key sweat stuff. Okay, so now you get to uh, BBD. Had you heard of that? I mean, obviously you knew about New Edition. I knew about New Edition, but here's the funny story. So I had an office in New York on uh, 35th Street, and I created a company called Classic Concepts. That's so I wanted to ask you the business, the, the business aspect yeah. uh, before we get into that. So at this point, 
you had done so many videos that you were able to now have your own production company, have your own crew that you are always working with. Absolutely. And one of the things about the crew, I'm sorry to interrupt, is like um, when we did the early videos, the whole crew was white. It was just all white. We had no black people at all. In fact, when I would get to the set sometimes, they thought I was a PA. They didn't even know I was a director. You know, it was that deep. Wow. Because there was no black uh, folks. So what I started to do... But wasn't that up to... Wasn't that your decision with it being your company that you could hire who you wanted as a director or no? I, I had the power to hire who I wanted, but at that time, there wasn't a lot of black people doing... Doing that, okay. In, in the whole film game. Right. So... Um, what I did is I got PAs and production assistants that were black, and I would tell them on the set, see what that dude's doing over there with the camera? You know, you learn that. Right. You learn that, and you understand that. So slowly but surely, the complexion of the crew was starting to change, change, which was good. Dope. Yeah, and then I formed my own company called Classic Concept, along with Ralph, Classic Concept Productions, and, um... And we just started uh, doing a lot of videos. Right. We get a call one day from, um... Hiram Hicks. Okay. And I remember the secretary downstairs, she says, you got a call from Hiram Hicks. They want you to meet this group called BBD. And I literally was like, BBD. <laughs> she, said, she said, they used to be with New Edition. And I was like, oh, and it started to hit me a little bit, but still. And I remember that I had to meet him at MCA. It was on 7th Avenue. And I remember just, I think I walked to the thing. And I, I'll tell you. The, you to, you walked to the meeting. To the meeting. Yeah. And I go upstairs and I meet Hiram and I see uh, Mike, uh, Ricky, and Ronnie. And all I remember is they were sitting down in this room watching Bobby Brown videos. Wow. True story. They were just watching Bobby Brown videos. And I came in. I didn't know quite what to expect. And uh, they told me, like, they had formed this group and they they played some of the music um, on the album. And I was blown away because I had never heard anything like, like that. Like that, right. I right. never heard that kind of music. I never heard little rapping in it. And it was just different for me. Right. I agree. And I would definitely have to say that, um, and I don't know if BBD gets the credit like like they should, but as far as merging those two genres mm-hmm. together and then adding a look, like BBD just had a look that you had not seen before. And I think they were just so important of adding that fashion element to R&B and hip hop. I really, really do. And I don't think folks give them the the props for that like they should get. Absolutely correct. Um, So before I get to another question on the business side. So you, you develop and form your own company. So now you're only able to pay your crew or your company as work comes in right so what happens if there is no work but you still there's still folks that you might need day to day how how did that work were they still just rocking with you until the next video came there or? was a there was a fan there was a commitment there was a family um we got paid at that time when you got a video you got paid and um um a lot of them at that stage, you could probably get paid a little bit more money than if you had a regular nine to five. But everybody at that time, they did have their regular jobs. Their other gigs, right, 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 right. Okay. But to answer your question, it wasn't like you had a crew of, of of camera people and everybody on set. But what you'd had is I had a secretary, I had a producer. It was a small uh, crew in that office, right, uh, in New York, right, right. right. And, and the lucky thing is. I was just doing so, so many videos. You didn't even have to worry I, about that. I, I didn't realize it, but, you know, we, we were working. And right. the thing about me, too, is I have a hustle mentality, so do three or four videos a week. That was that was, uh, that that was, was normal. normal. That right, was that normal. was normal. Right. All right, so you get the call from BBD. You walk to the meeting. You see, you, you see Ricky, Mike, Ronnie watching Bobby Brown. And the thing that I found out later is that Bobby had been the first person to kind of break away. Right. And was extremely successful. Right. And I think their vibe, I mean, I I don't know if they would say this. This is me guessing. It's like, um, we're watching Bobby. Bobby's amazing. And we're about to do something on our own. And... Maybe the mentality, I'm not going to say this is what was said, but maybe the mentality is we got to be at least least that good. Right, right, right. So did you get the vibe from meeting with them that did you feel like, and obviously you said that was your interpretation, but did it, did it somewhat, 
how it feel like it was a competition? Like, was that ever, like, did you feel that was expressed to you or that was just, you know, that the vibe no, that you fair, got? That was just my vibe, vibe that I got, to be fair. Right. And then at the same token, what was magical is they started playing the music, they started talking. The one that talked the most was Mike. Right, because he yeah, definitely like, had a lot of, yeah. Mike has Mike a lot of a lot of ideas. Yeah. I respect him to this day. Absolutely. He's a, he's a visual brother. He's got a lot of great ideas. No question. And we vibed really well. But the, here's the thing. After the meeting was over, they played a couple of songs for me, and they would tell me certain things like, you know, we'd, we'd like to like maybe be in a basketball court, and, and we'd like to do this. And then my mind is, I'm strictly a hip-hop dude. I was thinking like, yeah, but what if we did this and whatever? And they could all look at me and they say, yeah, this dude is getting us. But after I left the meeting, to be honest, I think they, you know, I said Poison was dope, and, and I think they all said that, that was going to be the single anyway. And they played some of the other tracks for me, too, and I was feeling that. Right. But I walked out of that meeting not necessarily feeling like I got the video. And to also be a little arrogant. You didn't really I, care? I didn't care if I got it or not. I was just like, this is this is cool, but I left. Right. And, you know, just saying, like, I met him and, you know, whatever and stuff. Like right. That. Like, shoot, I might be right. I might yeah. be doing rock camera gang yeah, exactly. next week. I exactly. ain't tripping. Exactly. Right, right. And then um, Hiram called me up and said, yo, the dudes loved you and stuff, and you got the video. And at that stage, um, that was a game changer as far as money, too. So that was going to be my question. Was that, up until that time, what what would you say the the average budget was for you up until BBD Poison? Until BBD, the average budget for a hip-hop video might have been $30,000. Wow. Right. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and we would get in that kind of, magic as far as what we would do with it right right bbd if i can remember right and you know don't hold me to this i think we might have got a hundred thousand wow and to us that was like wow this is pretty cool but <laughs> for me it was never about the money i was like telling the producers i could get a crane and i could do this all things that were taken away from me because of the, the monetary restrictions right so i was excited and the reason i told you i worked to mca by, uh, by myself is years later I talked to Mike because I started to do other projects with him like Boys to Men and he told me and I'll never forget this he said you know why why we picked you right I said no he said all the other directors we met came to us with bodyguards they were too fluffy yeah, and all that and all right. stuff. they had this whole entourage with him and he said you just walked in by yourself, You're by yourself. the street and yeah. the way your whole vibe was which was hip hop, but that's what I was. Right. You know, right. At that, that, that I was just a regular, you know, dude that was going to the clubs and I was just hip hop. And that's why I said I didn't go in there to try to get the video. I was just myself. And that's something I kind of held on to like most of my life. I just try to be myself and natural and not try to really push for a video. Or sell. Yeah. Right, right. Okay. Oversell it. Um, so uh, Poison comes out. Um, did you get the vibe when you were meeting with them and you heard the music? Did you feel like MCA or, or, or the label believed in them? Because I think at that time, like maybe folks were like, BB, you know, like yeah. not sure. Did did you get the vibe like, okay, everybody was on board or did you, or was it when Poison came out and did what it did then everybody obviously jumped on board? That's a great question. It was hard to tell. I didn't meet much of the people from the label. I met Hiram, who was really strong behind the group. And the group was very strong. Right. They had a presence themselves. Yeah. And even when we did the video, um, I remember even like one of the scenes, I think they go, where's Lionel at? That's like the first shout out I ever got in a video <laughs> when the three guys come out and stuff. And I wasn't even thinking even about that. Um, but to answer your question, it's what happened after that. It was like, I think it just shocked everybody. And then it was the, the airplay it was getting, I was like, Wow, right, this, this is, is crazy. Big. Yeah. And the guys, we all were in that same vibe because then the guys came to me and they were already talking, what's the next video? And the thing about, which is which was really cool, is the Poison video to this day, I'll tell everybody, it was like a bunch of them. It was a collaboration. These guys had all these incredible ideas and I was able to take it to the next level and, and, and have things. The next song, Do Me, I remember Mike, they said, they said Lionel, this is yours. You just Do come it. up with your stuff. And I, I just went crazy. I had one of the girls swimming naked in the pool. I did the thing with the black and white, with keeping the blue. That was like a toy for me. And I said, I'm just going to go crazy. And Doomy did very well, too. And there's a huge, to me, visually, the look from Doomy and Poison is so different. Doomy felt 
and I could be wrong, but just visually looking at it, it felt a little, it felt more polished than poison, and the colors popped big time. Absolutely. From poison. Was that, um, was that at that point done purposely to look totally different from that? Was it more money that you were able to do that? Like what, what, or was it because you totally had reign to do it? It is what you wanted to do. I think that's what it was. When the guys gave me total control, it gave me a boost of confidence. Right. And it also made me say like, Hey, this time I get to just do everything. Cause all the videos I did before, I always had my, my, my input in it. But it was a lot more like, you know, collaboration. And collaboration is great. I love collaboration, so I don't want you to think wrong. But it's like a kid, when you give them all the toys and say, this is yours. Right. It just made me go crazy. I was like, I'm going to do everything I can. And right. that's what I did. Yeah, the, the colors really popped on, on that video. What was the budget for that? That might have been around the same. The same. Honest, yeah. Okay. So now I'm sure that... After those two videos, now the R&B crap is just coming like crazy. That is correct. Yeah, there, there was a lot of types of groups like that. but the And, and it was good. And, and the thing also for me is I wanted to always make it different. So I remember I was in MCA. I, I would go to MCA a lot now and meet with the group, and we would talk about potential videos. So did it seem like MCA... Um, now, like, you're, you're their guy at MCA to do all the, the urban stuff. Well, no, that's a, that's a great question. Well, what happened at MCA is I would always go there just to talk about BBD. So I was, like, okay. almost the exclusive director for BBD. And I was doing other videos with other labels, but an MCA was just BBD. Right. But one day, one of the guys, um, one of the executives called me over and says, Hey, Lionel, when you're finished with this, we want to talk to you. And they pulled me to the side and they talked to me about doing Jodeci. Now, before that, I had done a video for Father MC. Oh, it, was called, yeah, it was called Treat Them Like They Want to Be Treated. Right. So was, I was doing stuff for Uptown. I had a good relationship with Andre Harrell and Diddy. Yeah. At that time, they were just kind of starting out. Right. And they told me, we want you to do this group called Jodeci. And I was familiar with them because in the Father MC video. They and sang thought, background. They were featured I, on the song. Right, and I thought that they were dope. Right. And I remember Mike looking at me like, uh, you know, nah, Mike, don't, Mike is a very possessive guy. <laughs> yes, if you yes, rock with him, you're just yeah, rocking right. with him. And I, and I got him, and I understood where he was coming from. Right. But even at that point, I was like, what I do for Jodeci? It's not going to be nothing. It's not going to be like a BBD thing. I'm going right. to do some dope stuff for Jodeci, but in my mind, I was like, it's just, uh, I don't want to... Uh, how can I say? I don't want to play myself. I don't want to make all my videos look alike. Right. I wanted to give each artist their unique vibe. And that's right. what I think I did for Jodeci. Jodeci just had a whole different vibe. So when you... Does... um, Did did Mike know that you did the Jodeci video during the process? Or did he find out after it was done? No. And that was that's that was, that's good, uh, a good thing. Mike knew. He, he saw that, you know, that they pulled me and that I was going to do a Jodeci video. Right. But I, what I still respect about the group is, you know, some artists would get upset with you if you... They felt like, oh, you're going to do somebody else and stuff like that, which 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 happened to me. That happened with me with R. Kelly. Right. Um, I did a lot of R. Kelly videos, and then one day I couldn't do an R. Kelly video because I had to. I had my own group called uh, 7669, True Story. The, the four girls the on four, Motown, yeah, right? four girls on Motown. And I remember um, they called me to do a, a video, and I said the schedule, not a diss to R. Kelly. It was just like my schedule. Right. I'm already booked to do this group. Right. And, you know, he's an artist, too. And I, I felt he felt like, oh, wow, so I'm being dissed. You're being and dissed. He never, he never called me again to do a video. Wow. I saw him years later at a uh, uh, Michael Jordan party, and we talked a little bit, but... Some artists were like that, you right? Know, they were the possessive, but no, not uh, BBD was cool because I did after I did Jodeci, I was still doing videos for, for them. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you do Jodeci. What was it, was was it? Come and talk to me. Yeah, I did. Come talk to me. I did Forever My Lady. I did. I did. I think the whole first album. the whole first album. Right. Wow. Wow. So, and then and then working with Jodeci, you're working with Diddy. And Diddy, so how did that? Too. Oh, it was good. I've always had a good relationship with him. With him, yeah. He actually uh, he used to call me the Godfather of music videos, which I thought was pretty cool. Right. But um, I had a good relationship with him, and um, he was the Michael Bivens of Jodeci. He right. Come up with ideas and things he wanted to do. Dope. Um. So 
from then, you then start to, and obviously because of your relationship with Michael Bivens, you go in to start doing um, Boys to Men. And was that, did Mike speak to you personally about that and say, hey, I got a new group? How did that, how did that work? Yeah, by then I had a really good relationship with Mike, and I still do. He's a good brother. Um, Absolutely. One of my he, favorite yeah, people. Yeah. He, uh, you know, he just told me, he says, yo, I got this group, um, Boys to Men. He had ideas, and, and, and we, just had a, we just had a vibe that clicked. We just really clicked well. Mike would say something, then I'd say this, and it just worked. Just worked. Chemistry. Right. Chemistry and stuff. Right. Boys to Men, I remember when I went to do the first video, which was called... Um, what was Motown, it, Motown Philly? Motown Philly. We yeah. went to Philly. I remember meeting the guys. It was just so strange because they were so young. I remember um, Wanye kept kept on calling me Mr. Martin. <laughs> and that felt funny to me because, you know, I was just like, well, you know, it's going. And then one of them got to the set a little late. And I was like, kind of went off like, yo, what's going on? You late? And then Mike pulled me to the side. He said, yo, he just got out of school. <laughs> and I was like, wow. I, I didn't have a clue how young these guys were. Right. But it, but it was fun. It was fun. So it, it it's... Obviously, your relationship with Michael Bivens uh, helped, you know, seems like it helped kind of challenge you, too. Absolutely. To make Because you're working so closely with him and all his groups, but you want everything to look different than everything else. Absolutely. So were you a part of the whole, um, you did ABC? Another Bad Creation. Another Bad Creation. Uh, MC Brains too. MC Brains. Wow! Yeah. So you did everything on the Biv Ten Entertainment Biv or Biv Ten Records, yeah. right? Shout out to Vita Sparks because I, I yeah, Vita my was, first yeah. person to ever give me a cool. check in a record in, cool. in the music industry. Love Vita. And again, it's something I just want to tell you again that that's loyalty, you know. But at the same token, that Mike um, embracing me and and making me part of all of that. I delivered too because you take the pride in it. So it never was a paycheck or you just going to do everything. Back then, and I still have it to this day, is like you want everything to you want boys to men to have incredible videos, right? You want another bad creation to have incredible videos. The budgets weren't as great for boys to men, and what upset me about boys to men is my relationship with Mike. We just did what we had to do to make it great. make it happen. Uh-huh. But then when boys to men, I think they got this video six hundred thousand dollars, which I never saw that kind of budget. They went with the white boy. Oh, yeah, they went with this director named Wayne Isham. And that really kind of bothered me. I was like, wow, I make this group as successful as they are. And this had nothing to do with Mike. And then all of a sudden, the label comes in. And was says, it more the label? It was, it was more of the label. It wasn't Mike. For sure, I can tell you it wasn't Mike. And all of a sudden, it's like, you got this $600,000 video of the boys performing in a desert right. with white suits on. Yeah. And in my mind, I was like, if I had that kind of budget, I'm I'm making a movie. Right. I'm going to make the Boys to Men movie. Yeah. So it bothered me a little bit, but then that was the politics of the business at that time, too. Yeah, yeah. Um. So after, after doing, you know, all that, do you start to feel, because now you have it, R&B and, and hip-hop on lock, do you ever get the itch to want to go outside of the genre and start to work with pop artists and folks from other, you know, genres of music? Or were you just, because you were doing so much and dealing with so many artists, you were just cool? Now, that's another great question. You're asking all the right questions, Doc. So that's all good. <laughs> so the, the first thing is, like, when you told me about going into the R&B from hip-hop, I wanted to stay into the hip-hop because that's, that's my heart. That's where I'm, I was from. But something happened that really bothered me. It was like hip-hop... And the BBDs and all that stuff was coming, becoming so hot of a music entity that all the white pop directors who were doing these incredible rock videos wanted to do the boys to men, right. the hip hop videos and stuff because it was the end thing to do. Right. And at that point, I wanted to do the white, the rock, the even country. I just wanted to do something to show people. That I could do that type of stuff too, too you right? Know? I mean, right, because I have the skills, right? But that's not how it went down. So I felt like I was locked in a certain area, and now, and you know, I know it sounds a little racist, but then the white pop directors were able to go and touch um, the hip hop coming to what you was stuff, doing, you yeah, know, you know, and and I just said, yes, it's supposed to work both ways, right? And that was something to this day. What did happen is I was able to do stuff like for NSYNC and um, Backstreet Boys 
what I call the um, what what are those those groups called? Because there was a name for that genre. Um, you know, I can't. The, I mean, they were just boy bands. I, the boy bands. They were the boy they, band. they were boy bands yeah. and definitely ripoffs of New Edition. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, and 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 that's the kind of stuff I was doing. And I remember um, when I did in sync, Justin Timberlake. You know, he really was that guy that I watched. He was watching my kicks. He was watching just that paying whole attention watch, to everything, paying attention to everything. And it's not a negative, so I'm not throwing a diss. Yeah, but I knew where he was going to go because he was the only one in the group that looked like he really embraced that culture. Right, right. Had that edge. It had the edge to it. Yeah. Right. Um. So. When do you feel like okay, I I've conquered music videos and and I know it like the back of my hand. I'm sure now you want to do movies. Absolutely. Was there ever was there ever a a, a defining a, a moment where you said I know I'm ready to do a movie now? I always felt like I could. You had always movie. felt like that. Um, at the time, like I told you with New York, too, remember I told you that the, there wasn't that many black people doing video. So black directors started to come along the line. And I remember in New York, I was doing all the videos. And all of a sudden, a lot of the crew members that I had were now they were being black. The complexion was changing. Right. When they weren't working with me, they were working with Spike. Right. You know, that's how it was in New York. And I mean, and that was a good thing. And I remember one day, like. Some people on my set would have Spike Lee do the right thing jackets and stuff. <laughs> right. And I kind of felt a little bit, this is this is weird, you know, not diss, but I was like, yo, we got to get our own jackets. Our own too. jackets, so right. I made, right. So I made these classic concept jackets and yeah. had them. And it's ironically, some of them would wear the classic concept jackets on Spike. But it wasn't a negative thing. It was just like, was, was, there, was, more. was there ever a competition? Like, no, uh, because, or a friendly competition, well, or kind of like you said, like he's doing that shoot. I got to step up my game uh, so I could do it too. No. So it was never a competition because I always looked at Spike Lee like, and was with utmost respect. I said he's a film guy, right? He does he does movies. He wasn't doing music videos. The first time I'd seen a music video from Spike, which was dope, was Public Enemy. The Public Enemy fight, fight the power from and the I, movie. Yeah, and I was like, yo, you know, and 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 it was all love. I had done a couple of Public Enemy videos too, so it was never a competition thing. But I just felt Spike does movies, I do music videos, right? Um, the only time it might have become a little bit of a competition thing is I had done a video for Stevie Wonder, and um, the way Motown approached me is they said, uh, we need you to do this video fun day. Spike did uh, the video, but Stevie didn't like it. And I know it sounds like a joke. I was like, he Stevie, yeah, Stevie didn't like it. But that's what I was told from the company. <laughs> and I remember kind of feeling a little like, so here I am doing fun day for Spike Lee's movie and I always felt a little uncomfortable I never uh, I've never had a relationship with Spike where I could talk to him or whatever but it's always going to be from my end anyway he's he's a movie guy he's right. a film director and he's a great great one he's, got, he's getting a nomination right now for uh, um, oh for uh, uh, Black uh, Klansman Black Klansman Black Klansman so, you know, so, yeah so it's always so I just wanted you to know it was always respect so there was just a little thing about the crews and stuff back in New York but we were all working all everybody's making money everybody's happy but I was just trying to show you how limited the right. black folks were in the videos yeah. what um, directors that we know now that kind of came under you came under your tutelage like who did you as you said you were trying to change the complexity in, uh, of you know, and, and kind of change the, uh, the the landscape of folks that were working. What directors did you feel that you that you kind of helped along the way that ended up becoming directors right. that we know? So it got to a point where I was doing a lot of videos and I wanted to, like any businessman, expand the company and stuff. So we started to have some, you know, I wanted other directors to bring them up and, and let them do videos. Hype Williams is probably, the, you know, the most notorious um, he was a really uh good guy he did a lot of art direction for me and stuff and eventually he broke away from classic concept but he did do videos and i remember when um i had to actually go to record companies and say well i got this guy got hype and i want him to do videos and stuff and i remember some of the early videos they would come at me and they would say like oh yeah i don't know his stuff is kind of dark and whatever <laughs> and i you know I was always extremely supportive of him. And the thing I used to tell people is that it was like a son that you have, 
but he wants to not be like daddy. He wants to have his own vibe and be different. Right. And I think it was done by design, and he got his own vibe and his own look and everything like that. Um, the problem, though, I think with, uh, with Hype is when he broke away, um, the one thing that I had learned that he didn't learn, I'm sure he, he knows it now, because we talked about this later, is I knew how to be efficient as a director because I grew with nothing. We had no budget, so I knew how to um, um, be smart with money. And also I had a business and stuff. Right. Hype, on the other hand, when he was doing his videos, he would get all the equipment, all this, all whatever and stuff. He loved all the toys. But he wasn't good as far as being efficient with the money. Uh-huh. So his company that he had, um, which is called Big Dog, they had some financial issues because he didn't have that business sense to him. Right. He eventually would get it. But I remember one time I saw him. This was years and years ago um, on Melrose one day. And we, were, we bumped into each other and we were talking. And he looked at me and he said, I understand what you mean about the business side now because now he was in the shoes of a business person. Right, right, running his company. And I think X came from from, um, Hype. Right, Little X. Right. Yeah. And then um, I had Jeff Bird and a guy named Fish Grease who's a real close with Mike Business. What's up, Zodiac Fish Grease? Zodiac Fish Grease. Yeah, what up, Fish? Right. Yeah. uh, So these are some of the directors that came out. And there was also a woman that we had. Her name was Pam. I'm trying to remember her last name. But I really wanted to um, push and encourage people that were under me to direct. So I never never held them down, and I always let them do their own thing. Right. So now tell me, how does the movie come along, How to Be a Player? How does that happen? All right, so I was really excited. I wanted to do movies. I had a very close relationship with uh, Russell Simmons. Okay. Back in the day, I was doing videos for Def Jam. I did third base, by the way, too, and that's one of my You did? Oh, you, I did yeah. all the third base stuff. Yeah, I did that first. Album, Gas Face and... Wow. Yeah. Okay. So that was, Dope. Yeah. And that was, those are some of my Pop, You didn't do Pop Goes the Weasel too, did you? No. That's that's, that's the, Was that the second album? That was the second album. Right. I did the whole first album. And the guy that did Pop Goes the Weasel is Brett Ratner. Oh. So Brett, yeah. So Brett was. And you know he's gone on to do. Yeah, absolutely. Big right. movies. Right. Yeah. So, um. Uh, oh, so. Um, um, How to Be a Player was a movie that. Um, was Def Jam. Russell uh, um, had come to me, and I remember I, I had to... Uh, directors are different. You read the script, and then you meet with the producers, and that's how you hire. So you don't really audition. They just talk to you, and you're in put on a movie. Right. And um, it was my idea to use Bill Bellamy. Okay. The first meeting I had on how to be a player, I, I told him that Bill Bellamy I thought would be a great choice, whatever. They used... Um, Harris Barclay, yeah. the original person to direct How to Be a Player. Something went down. I don't know what the politics was, but all of a sudden I found out that um, he wasn't doing the movie anymore. Right. Now I'm out of the picture, so I'm not even being considered anymore. But I kind of felt a little bad because it was my idea for Bill Bellamy and stuff. And I knew that the movie was happening. Right. So the person they got to replace Paris is Brett Ratner. Wow. Who's Russell Simmons' boy because he managed him and stuff like that. So you see all the politics. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'm in New York uh, doing a Voice to Men video. It was called Vibin' the Remix. The Remix. Absolutely. I I worked at Motown during that time. Yeah, which is really cool because. uh, Had Method, Method Red. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a pretty slick video. Yeah. And a boxing ring. And a boxing ring. I used this whole boxing ring. I remember. Which is like one of my little things. I don't know why, but I did a boxing ring and video for Guy. I did a boxing ring. Big Daddy Kane ain't no half half stepping. I don't know what it is that I had this boxing ring thing going on. Right. And, um,. I'm in New York shooting a video. I'm at the Four Seasons Hotel. I get in the elevator, and I see Russell Simmons. And he goes, hey, what's going on? Da, 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 the whole little thing. Right. You want to do a movie? And I'm like, yeah, I want to do a movie. He says, how to be a player. I'm like. You're like, yo, what? Isn't Brett doing that Right, right. Well, Chris Tucker is doing a movie called Money Talks. And Chris has a falling out with the director on Money Talks. His boy is Brett. So Chris gets the director fired, brings in Brett Ratner to do Money Talks. How to Be a Player has a slide open, and that's how I got How to Be a Player. Wow. So you see how things work out. Wow. So how was that experience working on? Because that 
would be considered your first film, right? Because that, he had done some stuff prior to that with like Kane or something, but that really wasn't like a was so it yeah, a those feature? were called those were called like long form. Long form, right? Do a long right. form would be a VHS, and you would do a couple of videos, and you try to do a little um, vignettes in between. Right. So now this is your first this feature first going experience. going theatrical. Yeah. How was that experience? That experience was a little scary for me. Um, not that I didn't have the chops; I knew what I was doing, but it's a whole different ball game. So the first thing I learned on Day one of shooting is uh, there's this thing that they call it's how many pages per day right. of the script. I yeah. didn't know about all that stuff. And I found out it was more like I, I was actually a little nervous. They said, you got to make the amount of pages per day and you got to do this. And there was a moment that I said, man, I don't know if I'm going to survive. This. <laughs> but I had a good uh, um, AD. Um, Russell was very supportive. Um Bill and the crew, Bernie Mac and everybody, I vibed really well with. It was just like a really fun set. And I was able to use my knowledge of being efficient because it was a low-budget movie. I think the budget for How to Be a Play was $4 million. So back then, we had like shot it in a month. But I was uh, used to not having things. Right. To be able to kind of make it work and be resourceful and stuff. Yeah. So it was a good lesson for me. And, and the movie did well. You know, it uh, tested well. Um so and it's considered a cult classic. Right. I'm very pleased with it and has a good look and stuff. And I remember I was on a plane one day and I remember Latifah came up to me and she and you know, um I had worked with her before too, but I remember her telling me, Yeah, I like how to be a player and she had a little smile on her face and, and which what made me smile was she said, I like the look, I like the lighting, I like the way the sets look and stuff. And it made me feel like, hey, somebody's like really paying attention to what I was doing. Right. So that made me feel really good. So after you do that, do, do you get calls to do more movies? That's a great uh, question, but you know what happens at that time? How to Be a Player becomes a cult classic. It it made uh, maybe fifteen million, which is considered pretty good, considering but, a four million yeah, dollar but four, four million investment. Yeah, but I didn't get the calls. To this day, I'm still not sure like what happened and stuff. But I would think. But I think it was because it didn't get critical acclaim. Mm -hmm. You know, I think if it had done that, I think um, it probably would have been better for me as a director. Right. You know? so. But that's like, do you want the critic? You want critically acclaimed films that don't make any money, or do you want to make a profit? You know, do you like that's a success? Four million, and you turn around and you make fifteen million. You would think that there would be. Other opportunities. Well, um, what I've learned is for you to get other gigs, that movie's got to make money. Right. So a good friend of mine, uh, Gary Gray, F. Gary Gray. Yeah. Um, I don't remember his first movie, but he made money. Yeah. And he's a good director, too. Yeah. And and, and that helps. It's, it's got to have a little uh, critical success. And mm -hmm. It's got to do financially well. And you get the work and stuff. So that's why Gary works... Um, Trying to think of another director, Hughes Brothers, who uh, the Hughes Brothers got me into the Gill because when you get into the Directors Gill, you got to have three signatures, and I'm very pleased. The Hughes Brothers counted as two, and Stan Latham, guy you know, Stan Latham, absolutely, is, he's the third. So those were the three signatures I got. Yeah, I got you in, Gil, right? But to answer your question, yeah, I'm, I, I want to do more movies, and I still, I still, I know I still will, right? Um, but now my thing is like whatever I do, I don't think I even want it to be a comedy. I think that uh, I know how to do a comedy, and I think I know how to work with hip-hop artists if that is the case, if it's a hip-hop type of movie. But I think I want to do something like just really different um, to make people go like, whoa, Lionel did that? You know, that's what gets me off. You know, that's the thing. Just something that you wouldn't expect from me. Right. So with all, this, with, with, with all the success in, in th that you've had, how do you look at the game now, like, do you feel that videos and visuals had the same importance and impact as it did in the 90s com compared to now? It, it To me, it seems like it was so big then because there was, you know, you had video shows and you had all these, you know, these places on TV that you could see videos. Now to see a video, you just go to YouTube. 
for yeah. the most part. So the game has changed as far as where you can see a music video, but the music video um, went to its own like metamorphosis itself. So what I what I would say is like the videos that you liked that were in the '90s, they had a certain vibe, a certain kind of look to it. Um, I had my own look, which was which was kind of cool. Um, and then I think what happened, especially on the hip hop side, is they became big budget. That right. might have killed them also. So hype was part of that. Right. You know? Million dollar videos. Million dollar videos. Yeah. Just really huge and lavish sets, uh, more movie looking. And that's a good thing. I wish I was part of that, you know, to be <laughs> honest with you. Um, but they started to also all kind of look alike to me. Uh-huh. And I think that that's still the phase we're at. Once in a while, you get something like really um, original, like childish, you know, Gambino. Like Charles Gambino. Right. Uh-huh. You'll get something like once in a while that to me is kind of edgy, a little bit different and stuff. But I think most of the music videos right now, and I'm not hating, I think they all kind of look alike and all kind of kind of blended in. Powerful, big budgets, lots of gloss, um, not a lot of movement. And I think that there needs to be like a little bit of a vibe to go back that because there's a reason that people kind of like the uh the older one right you know and right even, even some videos now you'll see now they'll even do little tributes to getting a look that the older video is had like right. right you're absolutely so now as you said lionel that you you want to do films you do you want to do tv like if you had it your way right now what would that be would it be to direct your own project that you developed or, you know, you're not mad at someone bringing a project to you that you could direct? Like, if you could pick the way what you wanted to do now, what would it be? So, absolutely, I'm not mad at anybody that'll bring anything to me. Because to me, everything has potential. And I always like to look at my roots. So, my roots is, I, I, I helped build hip-hop. Hip-hop was nothing. And I helped build it and become part of that whole process of the, of the videos. And I'm very proud of that. So, when somebody comes to me... With like not a lot of money, and they just but they have the dream of let's try something different that appeals to me. Right. If somebody comes to me and just wants to do something everybody else is doing. I'll turn. I'll turn, it, turn it, down. it down. It doesn't even matter about the money at this point. Right. But I think I definitely want to do a, another feature film. But I think right now my heart's set on on a, a television to to produce some kind of cool TV. Because if you watch Netflix and you watch where TV is going, yes, it's better than films. Right. To me. Right, the technology, and to be able to create something like that for a TV series, I think would be great. Right. So if Jordan Peele's out there listening, hey, like, hey, hey Jordan, hit him up. Chance, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, AM Caffeine Show, um, my man Lionel Martin, and like he said, help build hip hop. There, uh, there's no question that what he has contributed to the culture has helped push it to where it is today. There's no question, Lionel. Um, I really, as a fan, appreciate everything that you've done because you have worked with all the artists that are dear to me as, as a fan and all those visuals still today. I will go back and look at all the videos that you have done are just so damn iconic. For you youngsters that do not know, Google this brother, man, and and just get a gander of all the videos you've done. Or ask ask your damn parents because they know what it is. Um, AM Caffeine Show, Lionel Martin. So, Lionel, are you on? If folks want to get at you, do are you on social media? You look like you probably kind of don't really do the social media that much. Well, before I answer that, I wanted to, again... Thank you, because, you know, it's it's brothers like you who are knowledgeable, who understand. You know, I've, I've, I've run into you in a barbershop. I've known you for a long time. But your knowledge is, is nice, that you paid attention, that you watch. You know, when you talk to somebody who knows your stuff, who's watched your videos and stuff, you can't get no better than that because, you know, it's not fake on your part. You know, and I see the types of artists you bring to the show so I had to give you like a shout out right back, you know, and we've been trying to do this for a while. It's been, you know, it's been, reached, yeah, it's been a minute. And what's yeah. crazy is Lionel and I, we go to the same barbershop. So every time that I see Lionel in a barbershop and we have a conversation, it turns into an interview. Yeah. And it's always a cool, it's always really cool. Yeah. And, and your stories are so fat. Lionel, you got to do a book. 
Yeah. You have to do a book. I got stories to tell. You got stories. And I'm sure you, I mean, with all the videos, I'm sure you have, like, photographs that nobody has ever seen. You have to do, like, a fly picture book. I think that would be so dope. But on the social media tip, I'm I'm real Um, (laughs) low-key. It's not my thing. Um, It's just never been my thing. So, you know, I apologize. I do have an Instagram thing, but I'm private, so I don't, like, you know. And you put up cool stuff on (laughs) it. You put up cool visual stuff on your your Instagram because I follow you. And you'll put up some, you know, maybe it's a fly scene from something or something really cool visually that you like. Um, so yeah, what is your, what is your Instagram? Not like you guys, he's going to accept you. <laughs> <laughs> so my Instagram is a uh, vid junkie, vid junkie. And that's my Twitter account too. There it is. Right. AM caffeine show. Lionel, thank you so much, man. Being here, man. Anytime, when, when, anytime you have a new project, whatever it is that you're working on, Open door policy, dog. For real. And also, You're, favorite video, Tupac, Dear Mama. I didn't, Tupac, we didn't mention that. Yeah. I mean, there's so much. Like, we could do a part two with all those iconic videos that you've done. But absolutely, Tupac, Dear Mama. Um, AM Caffeine Show. Thank you guys for listening. Once again, go to amcaffeine.com for all, all the stations that you can catch us on. You can catch us each and every Wednesday and Friday. It's the AM Caffeine Show. It's your boy, DLC, on behalf of Marlo J, who's not here uh, Smooth D and uh, DJ Young Free in the building. Um, you guys enjoy the rest of your hum day. Lionel, thank you so much, dog. This was really dope. AM Caffeine Show. You guys enjoy your day. I'm out. Peace.